Morning, everyone. Glad that we can be together, even though we're not together. We're thankful for the resurrection, and we celebrate that in uh, Jesus' name. And I heard a great quote this week I want to share with you. Um, Let's fuel our faith by focusing on God and his promises. Let's not fuel our fear by focusing on man and his problems. So we're going to do that this morning by getting into God's word and just uh, looking at some of the truths and the promises that God has given us on this resurrection day. So I just thank you. I miss you all. I'm looking forward as you are to the day when we can begin to gather again. But in the meantime, we continue to pray um, for across the world for those who are hurting and those who are most affected right now by this virus. And even for those who may um, be struggling with fear and whatever else that might be in their lives in this trial. But it's a time to be sifted. It's a time to check our drift. It's a time to be examined by the problems we're facing. And like I've said before, and like my mentor taught me, never miss the privilege of your problems. Our problems can expose to us the areas in our life where we're not trusting God and where we need to be shored up in our trust of God so that uh, when we do face real situations, um, the shaking that we've gone through before can settle us into a place where um, we can rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces and it produces character and character hope and hope doesn't disappoint us. So we move forward in joy, in faith, in thanksgiving, and uh, humbly in prayer. And so let's uh, grab your Bibles. I would invite you to open to First uh, Peter, and we're going to be going through First uh, Peter, a few verses there. We won't get very far, but uh, that's not the focus. The distance isn't the focus. The emphasis is on the, the verses of uh, Peter telling us about the resurrection. So let's pray before we begin. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that uh, comes to us by your gift of life, known and unknown, the privileges we have, um, the idea that we can live because of your grace and mercy. And Lord, we pray that you would help us in a new way today, even this day, when we remember the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, your son, Jesus. Pray that you would refocus our hearts, refocus our eyes, our minds, open our hearts, open our ears, open our eyes, give us minds to understand, eyes to see, ears to hear your word and what you have for us this morning. And we just thank you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So as I invite you to open your Bibles. The first Peter chapter one, I'm going to read in verse three uh, down to verse 10. Praise be to the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. Kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in glory and praise when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I just want to reread those first couple of verses there to help you hear the emphasis, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, 
He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. Now, I just want to take a few moments just briefly to ask ourselves and remind us, and maybe for some of those who do not know or don't remember, who is this man, Peter? He was a, a fisherman, like myself, a fisherman called by Jesus, called to follow Jesus, called to learn about Jesus, called to learn about what it means to trust in Jesus. He witnessed miracles. He participated in miracles. He boasted um, about his own death-defying love for Jesus. And yet, in the garden, near the end of Jesus' earthly journey, Peter um, denied him three times. One story in particular caught my eye this week as I remembered Peter's when uh, Jesus came to the disciples walking on the sea and they thought it was a ghost. And they said, Peter said, Lord, if it's you, call to me. And so nobody else did, but Peter got out of the boat. And it showed, demonstrated great faith and tremendous faith. It says, as he got out of the boat and he was walking toward Jesus, it says this. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And one of my favorite verses at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, it says they came to the hill where he ascended and they worshiped him. And yet some doubted. And this is what I see in the life of Peter. Even there was times of great faith where he stepped out boldly and other times where he was. It seemed a little unsure or confused or even afraid. And uh, one time when Jesus asked the disciples, who do you think I am? He, Peter was there and said, who do you say I am? Jesus asked and Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. But the, to that same Christ, that same Lord, that same master, Peter said, no, Lord, you will never wash my feet. But then Jesus had to remind him, Peter, if I don't wash you, you have no part in me. And Peter said, no, Lord, wash my head and my hands and my feet as well. Wash me all. And Jesus answered, you are clean, but you still have to have your feet done. Peter is the same Peter that in the garden he drew a sword to protect Jesus at his arrest. Peter is the same Peter who earlier pulled Jesus aside, tried to explain to him, Lord, you're not going to go to the cross. This will never happen to you. And Jesus had to say to him, Peter, you're thinking about the devil's plan to prevent me from following my father's plan. Get behind me. So it's this Peter who's been walking with Jesus for years who writes this to us. And he tells us, praise be to the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ in his great mercy. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's good news today. Resurrection Sunday, but it's good news every day. It's good news for our time, for the trials we're facing, for the circumstances with this virus, for facing death in any way, shape, or form. It's good news. And it's great in his, his great mercy. The idea of mercy is to show kindness or concern for someone in serious need, to give help to the helpless, to relieve the misery. Mercy is something that gives. So Peter's recognizing he himself knows this mercy. He's the one who denied Jesus three times. And yet Jesus restored him at the end of his life and said, Peter, feed my sheep. This is that same Peter who saw miracles and yet tried to fight the guards off and change the plan that Jesus had already told him. The son of man must give his life. And this is the same Peter now who writes about God's great mercy. His great mercy 
causes or results in God giving. That's what mercy does. Mercy gives. Mercy doesn't act on what is deserved. Mercy acts on giving, and it's giving us the new birth. And the new birth, which is the gift that God gives to those who turn from sin and put their faith in Jesus, turning from self-reliance, turning from self-trust, turning from idolatry and adultery, turning from your hope in any other Savior but Jesus. It comes by his mercy, not by deserving. Notice what people said, Peter says, in his great mercy, he has given. It doesn't come by our deserving. We can't make a list of deeds accomplished. We can't live in such a way that we earn favor with God. And we bring this list of deeds we accomplished and that we buy mercy from God. We don't win his favor on our merits. It's his great mercy which is given to us. In his great mercy, spoken by Peter, one who experienced that mercy on multiple occasions, nobody deserves the new birth. And probably nobody knew that more than Peter, who wept bitterly on the day he heard the rooster crow after Jesus had said, you will deny me three times before the rooster crows. It says that he went out and wept bitterly. And that bitterness, that weeping, showed his repentance because his repentance turned him back to Jesus as another man, Judas, who did not repent in the same way. He was remorseful, but he didn't repent and turn back toward Jesus. The Bible just tells us that Judas, in his remorse, went out and hung himself. Mercy from God is given because of our need, which he meets and which is grounded in his love and in his kindness. When we properly understand and when mercy is properly understood, the recipient of mercy finds in themselves thankfulness, gratefulness, wanting to praise God for that mercy. Such Peter's statement in the beginning, in praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, in his great mercy or for his great mercy, he has given. God is a source of the new birth. It's God's action. It's God's power. God's initiative. God is the cause. People are the recipients. Some translations even read, he has caused this new birth. And we know that as we read through scripture, that the birth of the new birth of the person who puts their belief. It's a response of God to the act of faith. The emphasis in the Greek text puts the focus on God as the force and the source of the new birth. As you and I were not the cause in our first being born physically, you're not the source or the cause of being born spiritually. Faith allows you to receive God's mercy, but not but man is not the cause of God's mercy. We're receivers who are humbled and thankful for the gift. Let me take you to a moment to uh, Ephesians chapter 2. Let me just read this famous passage on the mercy and the grace of God. It says in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1, As for you, that's you and I, you were dead in your sins and transgressions in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of the sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. The wrath of God was upon us. That's what we deserve because of our sin and because of our faithlessness. And because of our rejection of God. But, verse 4, Ephesians 2, 4. But because of his great mercy, but because of his great love, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you were saved. And God raised us up with Christ 
And he seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. No one saves themselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. What God has given in his great mercy is this new birth. This birth is not the physical birth that you were born with, that gave you this life that you have now. This new birth is a spiritual birth. It's outside and beyond the capabilities of humans. Let that sink into you. Because we, when we're given gifts, somehow we think that we deserve them. We think that we've earned them. We think that somehow um, we've manipulated the circumstances and the situation and the people around us. And we have received these gifts because of our superiority or our goodness. This new birth is outside the capacities of the human ability. It comes upon us from outside. We cannot produce the new birth spoken of here. Or the verse 21, which is right across the page. If you look at verse 21, right across the page, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. Through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourself by obeying the truth so that you have a sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed through the living and enduring word of God. You can read it like this. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, not by anything man could do, not by anything your mother did, not by anything your father did, but by imperishable seed. The same way that Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, you must be born again. The book, uh, Paul's uh, letter to Titus says it this way in chapter 3 of Titus. It says this, at one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. God works in the person's life by his grace and mercy in response to faith. No human ability, no ingenuity, no reason can cause one to be born again. New birth is God's gift. We need to submit to God and recognize our need for him. And then in faith, putting our faith in the finished work of the life and the death of Jesus Christ, God causes us to, do, to be born again by his power, his work, as we trust. The new birth is not some vague idea for a small branch of really radically radical Christians. Maybe you've heard that phrase. Yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, somebody, do you believe in God? Yeah, I'm a Christian, but I'm not. I'm certainly not one of those radical born again types. If you're not born again, you're not a Christian. There's no other type. There's only one type of Christian. Those who have been born again by the power of God, by the mercy of God, by the grace of God, by the love of God, by the act of God as a response to our faith and our obedience to trust him in faith and repentance. To be born, to be born again is an act of the spirit of God on the person putting their faith in God. And the new birth brings us into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I hope you had an opportunity this week to read through the Gospels. 
and to just ponder what, in fact, God has accomplished through the death of his son, crushing and destroying death, bringing forgiveness and reconciliation and peace and justification and salvation through that death and through that new birth as Jesus was raised from the dead. So the new birth brings us into the living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I want to spend some time just talking this morning to make sure that we get an idea that when the Bible talks about living hope, it's not talking about wishful thinking. It's not talking about the hope that we're normally acquainted with. It's talking about biblical hope, hope that is defined by the confident expectation of a coming good. The confidence that our expectations will be met in the future, near or far, but they will be met. That's the biblical hope. Hope is to trust in, to wait for, to look for, or to desire something or someone in such a way that expectation of that hope will be fulfilled. And so that hope is sustained during the meantime, while we wait while we wait for the promises of God to be fulfilled, that's what makes a different kind of hope in the life of the believer. That's what gives the believer confidence in times like these, that we put our hope in God. Hope, undaunting confidence in a future good. Dan Bashan said, our hope lies not in our ability to put a man on the moon, but in the man we and God put on the cross. Hope, a faith and trust that holds out its hand in the dark. I remember a prayer from David in the Psalms. He says, I pray my prayer and I lay down to sleep and I wait in eager expectation. Hope in Romans 8 tells us that hope is waiting patiently for what we do not yet have. G.K. Chesterton said, Hope means expectancy when things are otherwise hopeless. Jeremy Collier said, hope is a vigorous principle. It sets the heart and the head and the hands to work. And it animates a man to do his utmost. And that reminds me of the spring work of the farmer. He gets his uh, fields ready. He prepares and then he plants what appears to be dead seeds in the ground, but he plants with great hope, great expectation, in a sense, knowing that this is the process. You put the seeds in the ground and you stand back and you wait on a God who brings the rain and the sun and who's already provided the earth. Hope sets the heart on fire, sharpens the eye, whets the appetite of life and helps hurry forward the awaited culmination. It's interesting. Some of you, I've, I've been praying for some of you. I heard that uh, your weddings are coming up this summer, and you're kind of worried and concerned about how you're going to meet, whether you're going to meet. Let me assure you, nothing can stop the wedding plans that you've laid there, except by your own choices, but that hope, for that day makes it rush on and speed on and you can hardly get ready in time with the joy of the awaiting day. Gabriel Marshall said, hope for the soul. What hope for the soul is what breathing is for the living being. Hebrews said that trusting God, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus who went before us has entered on our behalf so that we may be greatly encouraged. So there's a blessed hope, the living hope, and this hope that's an anchor. Hope has the ability to see through the veil. I'm reminded what we saw last week in Romans chapter 4, when we talked about Abraham's faith, and it taught us that Abraham, against all hope, in hope, believed, and so became the father of many nations. How does hope not have the power to bring about what's going to happen? 
Hope's power is to sustain us during the waiting. Hope itself does not have the power to bring about what's going to happen. The power of hope is to sustain us during the waiting so that we don't give up. So that our, our sustaining is hope. Hope is power. Not to create reality, but enable us to patiently wait for the unfolding of reality. Solomon wrote in Proverbs 13, verse 12, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is the tree of life. Life without Christ is a hopeless end, but life in Christ is an endless hope. J.W. White said, the world hopes for the best, but Jesus offers the best hope. Acts 27 records the story of Paul and his companions sailing for Rome. It says, when a gentle wind began to blow, they saw this as their opportunity to head out. (laughs) But soon that gentle wind turned into a hurricane force storm. And the ship was caught and battered by the storm. Verse 20 says, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days. And maybe that's where you are right now. You haven't seen the sun. You haven't seen the stars. You haven't seen a glimmer of hope in your circumstances, in your situation. Listen to what it says. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. That's the opposite kind of hope that... Peter's talking about, and it's the opposite kind of hope, which the next verse says, Paul stood up before them and he said, listen, be encouraged. An angel of God appeared to me, an angel of God whose I am and whom I serve appeared to me. And he said, do not be afraid because God has graciously given you your life and the lives of all who are on board the ship. So Paul said to them, keep up your courage, men. I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. So while everyone else was um, turning upside down with fright and they couldn't even eat, Paul was there trying to feed them and assure them, have courage. I have faith in God. I have hope in God that it will happen just as he told me. Their hope and the hope that was... And had fi- that the hope that had finally given up. There's two different kinds of hopes there. I hope you can see that. But Paul was not in the raging storm. His hope was not that the raging storm would quiet down. His hope was in the speaking God in the midst of the storm. The God who was able to deliver in spite of the storm. That's who our hope is in. Our hope isn't in the storm quieting down. Our hope is in the God who's in the midst of the storm, quieting us as we put our faith in him. Hope is only as powerful as what we put it in. That's why this hope Peter is talking about is a living hope grounded in the mercy of God, grounded in the new birth God gives, and grounded in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. What is your hope? What's your hope for the future? Future good. Is it based in man's ingenuity or on God's promises? He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Do you believe there's something or someone more powerful than death? Peter did. Do you believe there's something more powerful than the storm you're facing? Paul did. What about hope in the midst of this virus? You can hope you don't catch it. You can hope that if you do, you'll be able to battle through. We all hope that. But take your hope a step further. Could your hope live or die in the one who said to Martha, Lazarus' sister, just before he rose Lazarus from the grave? 
I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Jesus asked. While they're standing on the edge of Lazarus' grave. And then today we celebrate the demonstration, the confirmation, the affirmation that Jesus can do what he said. And he is who he said he is. I am, he said, I am the resurrection and life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Peter is telling us that we have a living hope given by God, grounded in the power of the resurrection of God's son. There's no sounder hope. There's no better ground for hope than the one who conquered death. If the one who demonstrated power over death said to us, we can put our hope and trust in him. That's a good word. That's a good promise. That's a good truth. The Bible is filled from back to front with invitations for us to put our hope full in God. Where lies your hope this morning? In whom do you hope? The famous philosopher Frederick Nietzsche. He, he's the one who said God is dead and we have killed him. He also said this about hope as an atheist. He said, and I quote, hope is the worst of evils for it prolongs the torment of man. That's certainly true if there is no God. If you declare God, if you don't believe in God, your hope is a torment because nothing's coming your way from God. But he was wrong in both his statements and his beliefs. Frederick Nietzsche was. Hope, biblical hope, this living hope grounded in the resurrection. This hope with comes, with, comes with the new birth brings stability. It brings joy. It brings rejoicing. It brings peace. It brings comfort. It brings confident expect, expectations in the one who's given the hope of a future good. It brings courage and comforts the torment of man. It comforts man in his misery. It comforts man in his dark and dying circumstances. It comforts man in the midst of his trials and temptations. We don't have a vaccine for the COVID currently, but we do have a certain assurance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We do have a cure for aging. We don't have a cure for aging or for death. And I don't expect we'll find one anytime soon. But what we do have is the God of all creation, who because of his great mercy has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And that's a cure for everything. That's a cure for the diseases who are yet to be born and developed. It's a cure for everything. Some like Nietzsche and other atheists will say there's no hope. And for 2,000 years, people have mocked the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and they call Christians fools for believing it. Well, if there is no resurrection, there is no hope. But there is, there's a, since there is a resurrection, and Jesus has been raised from the dead by God the Father, we know there is hope. The Bible tells us clearly in Ephesians, the non-believer is without hope and without God in this world. Hebrews 11 says that faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And verse 6 of Hebrews 11 says that faith, without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he is. That's where faith is anchored. Hope is anchored. Trust is anchored. It's believing that God is who he said he is and that he exists and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That's hope. That's the living hope. Trust in, believing in, putting your faith in God who raises the dead and gives new life to those who put their hope in him. The psalmist in Psalm 42 and 43, asked several times, why are you so downcast, O oh my soul? And I've heard my soul 
questioning that. I've heard my, I've had my own doubts. I still have them and I will have them in the future. Why are you so downcast? Oh, my soul. Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. Where is your hope on this blessed Easter morning? Put your hope in God. Whereas the angel at the tomb said, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Biblical hope is not wishful thinking, nor is it some form of optimism that has the ability to change dark circumstances. The change, the change, listen closely, the change comes in the person, not the circumstances. It comes as we put our hope in God, who is sovereign over circumstances. Then our hope is in the right place when it is on the right person. Putting our hope in circumstances is really fickle. When circumstances go good, you're happy. When circumstances go bad, we're unhappy. Put your hope in the right person, not in the problem. And that person is Jesus Christ. Put your hope in God the Father. Circumstances come and go like the wind. They change with each day. God is sure and secure and certain and stable and stable and good and kind and loving and powerful. There's a simple way to test whether your hope right now in the middle of this virus is biblical or wishful. There's nothing wrong with keeping yourself informed by watching a little news. There's nothing wrong with being wise and washing your hands continually and wearing a mask. You should. But if you're finding your fear being fueled instead of fueling your faith, that will help you know where your hope is set. That will point to you where your compass is. And be informed about COVID, but put your hope in God. People without hope are people without a future. As Christians, we have a living hope. Does that mean Christians won't get the virus? Absolutely not. But what it does mean, if we do get it, God is still good. He's still gracious. He's still powerful. Whether we live or we die, we have the promise of the resurrection. We have the promise of God conquering death. And Paul says, because of the resurrection, oh, death, where is your sting? Death, where is your victory? Death has been swallowed up in victory. And that doesn't mean we live foolishly or presumptuously. It means we live fully and we live fearlessly than we would. It means there's less fear in our life as we put our hope in God, no matter what the circumstances we find ourselves in. It means we put our hope and our trust in God and his promise of the new birth, which is an inheritance into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. Look at verse 4. It's the new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of the dead. Verse 4, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power. I would hope that you could sink your teeth into this right now, that we have an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Our inheritance as a Christian, as one who puts our belief and our trust in the finished work of Jesus on the cross and in the resurrection, what we have coming to us because of God's great mercy, which causes us to have new birth, which is guaranteed through the Jesus resurrection, new birth into a living home is living hope is kept by God for us beyond the reach of decay. You get it? You see that? Look at again, verse four, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you. It's kept by God for us beyond the reach of decay. 
It can never perish, spoil, or fade. I hope you see this. Our hope is a living hope. Our confidence, our assurance, our faith is not in our ability to hold on to God, but in his ability to keep his promises. And they're demonstrated. We're celebrating 2,000 years roughly after the fact of God's act in raising Jesus Christ from the dead. Our inheritance is not something we produced. It's because of something God did. It's because of his accomplishment. It is something God has and is. It's himself. He's life. It is something we're receiving as we move toward him in faith and it's grounded in the finished work of the death and the resurrection of Jesus. So verse 4, into an inheritance. An inheritance is the portion or the heritage which one has received, is receiving, or will receive with certainty. For those of us who are putting our faith in Jesus, who are learning in this journey of following him, to trust him, and we're learning that he is faithful to keep his promises, we are receiving this inheritance. Down there near the end where Paul or Peter said in verse 8, though you have not seen him, you love him. Even though you do not see him now, you you believe in him. You're filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That inexpressible and glorious joy is part of the inheritance. A person doesn't create an inheritance. They don't earn an inheritance. It's given. By his great mercy, those who trust in God receive an inheritance grounded in the resurrection that cannot perish. Look right across the page again at verse 23. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. I know that we get burdened by our circumstances and we get excited about our circumstances. But think about the excitement and the joy and the reassurance and assurance we could have if we continue to sink our teeth into what God has already accomplished. This inheritance which comes from God comes with God. This isn't given apart from God. There's an inheritance that comes to those who don't believe in God. They have an inheritance coming, but we have an inheritance that kept for us by God. It's the result of our being born into his family, the new birth. It's into this inheritance which can never perish. It means nothing can corrupt or ruin or tarnish or fade or cause to pass away. This inheritance which we receive from God is totally like any un. There's nothing like it on earth. It's totally unearthly, this inheritance. I have a friend who owns a, and he owns and operates a storage facility in Bemidji. As best they can, they keep things stored there, sealed and safe and sound. The last summer, disaster struck. In uh, July, with that windstorm, and the building was blown down. Thankfully, nothing had yet been stored there. Those things we try to store, those things we try to protect, they're so susceptible. Water, moth, rust, heat, freezing, decay. Everything we know about on Earth faces the destructive forces of decay and erosion. But not this inheritance. Not the inheritance that Peter's talking about. Not this living hope. So you wonder why Christians in the midst of terrible circumstances, Christians can still have hope. Because this hope, this inheritance is unfading. It's unfailing. It's kept. J. Vernon McGee tells a story of a man who received a beautiful southern home in Louisiana as an inheritance. But on the very night that the original owner died. 
The house caught fire and burned down, and there was no insurance. The home that he was to inherit went up in smoke. I've heard stories, and so have you, of people who have had great expectations of an earthly inheritance. Even the idea of winning the lottery has the same effect. There's great expectations of earthly gain to come to find out they've been left out of the will or there was no will or the will was destroyed in some way by the water or the fire or even by time. Think about what Peter's saying. Peter, who denied Jesus three times, Peter, who tried to walk to him on the sea and yet started to sink. Peter is saying in his great mercy, God has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. I'm sure that even on this screen, you can see the gray hair. Do I need to worry about keeping my inheritance? What if I get Alzheimer's in another 20 years? What about you? If your life is cut short, as they say, or we get a brain tumor, it says that it's kept in heaven for you. But as we close, I want us to be very careful here. This kept inheritance does not include those who shipwreck their faith and commit apostasy. We can't be presumptuous and forsake faith and live any old way we please and inherit eternal life. As Hebrews chapter 10 says so clearly and powerfully, if we deliberately and willfully continually keep on sinning after we receive knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of the judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. In these verses, Peter is speaking to Christians, as he has already said in verse 1, to God's elect, those chosen by God, those sanctified, being sanctified by the work of the Holy Spirit, those being obedient to Jesus Christ. There's an inheritance for the wicked, but that's not eternal life with Jesus. It's separation from God. Perishing is real. Spoiling is real. Fading is real. Hatred and raging against God is real. Trials and suffering are real. Sin and death and viruses and suffering, problems, they're real. But those who are given this new birth, those who remain in the faith, those who receive this living hope, those who enter into this inheritance, those who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation, those people greatly rejoice, come what may. Yes, Peter says, he says himself, look at, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your testing of your faith, which perishes, testing your faith, which is of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by the fire, may be proved genuine. And may result in honor and glory when Jesus Christ is revealed. Put your hope in God. Put your trust and your faith in him. Rejoice in his great mercy and point toward his grace and love. Seek his face. As I close today, I just want to share just some final brief thoughts about what does the resurrection mean for those who trust Christ. Number one, it proves Jesus was the son of God, not a criminal crucified on a cross. It gives the vindication of his finished work and the validation that he is the Messiah. Number two, it proves that our final state is not mist or dust. But the resurrection, the resurrection of a body just like Jesus, the scripture tells us. Body that could be recognized, a body that could eat, a body that could pass through walls, but yet a body that that took trouble. They, it troubled them when they saw him, and it had to be established again and again by ten different, eleven different appearings before his ascension. 
Because they, is this him? Yes. He assured them it was he. Look at my hands. Look at my feet. See my side. It confirms also the final conquering of death. Death is not the end for those who put their faith and their hope and their trust in Jesus. It demonstrates God's power, his indescribable, incorruptible, indiminishable power of life. It confirms the authority and the authenticity of the Old Testament promises and prophecies. If indeed the resurrection has taken place, Jesus has conquered death. And and demonstratingly so, his unquenchable, unstoppable, unconquerable power. It means he's the king of the world. He's the Lord of lords, the God of all creation. It means that each person will indeed stand before him and give an account for their ideas and their actions. We will answer to this resurrected Savior, belief or blasphemy, but we will answer. Each person must decide for themselves whether they determine to be true or not. If indeed he rose from the dead, if indeed we can put our faith and our hope and trust in him. And so in doing so, receive the living hope that Peter has so labored to share with us and point us to and to remind us to praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful and we are grateful for the living hope. Lord, open our eyes and our hearts and our ears so that we can see and hear and understand afresh and anew what you are offering to us, what you have accomplished where we can indeed put our faith and our hope in the midst of our trials, in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our worry, in the midst of uncertainty, things that are outside our control. Help us to put our hope in you, God. And in doing so, that's our worship. Our worship is when in the midst of death, In the midst of destruction, in the midst of toil, in the midst of suffering, we put our hope in you. That's how we worship. That's how we're to live. That's our privilege. That's our responsibility. That's our opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen.